eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm Stephen Igo. Uh, the publisher of Hoist the Colors, the host of this podcast. Good to be wrapping up the 2020 ECU football season, at least for East Carolina. Some teams are still playing and will be playing through the weekend and through the next couple of weekends. But ECU is done. They finished the season at 3-6. and six. Of course, we talked about the SMU win over the weekend. And now we're going to look back at the season as a whole. And we're going to do that with uh, our, go- our guest co-host this week, Bobby Harward is going to join us on uh, via Zoom. So, Bobby, we've had you on a couple times this year, and now to wrap up the season, are you surprised ECU was able to make it through? I am. I'm, I'm shocked that they're able to get all nine games in without a hiccup, especially when you compare uh, to our uh, in-state counterparts, UNC, UNC Charlotte, who has it's just been brutal for them. But I'm shocked, happy to see them get through uh, the nine games outside of, uh, you know, the Marshall game. I'd like to have seen them get a 10th game in there, but completely understand the circumstances and why they uh, wanted to avoid it. Yeah, you know, it, it, I think when ECU kicked it off versus UCF back in September, I don't know if anybody thought we would get here. And, you know, like Mike Houston has said, it, they probably could have scheduled an extra game now, but two or three weeks ago when they had two scholarship tackles and two scholarship safeties healthy, you know, you probably didn't feel comfortable doing that. So uh, hindsight's 2020. We're in 2020. It's nice to be wrapping up 2020. So I'm just glad they got in a year. And uh, we, we got a ton of questions to get to on the Hoist of Colors message board, Bobby, which we'll do shortly. But, you know, first off, as somebody who used to be on staff under under Coach McNeil, um, obviously, you know, you, you love East Carolina University and, and you, you met your wife here. So when you look back at the season as a fan, as a, a former coach, Kind of, how do you sum it up? Um, where do you think ECU maybe made the most progress as a program? Yeah, I think uh, really to sum everything up, it was just a roller coaster of a year. Um, a lot of that uh, due to obviously the COVID situation, but just, I mean, it, it almost seemed week to week, you didn't know early on at least what, what ECU team was going to show up, specifically what offense was going to show up. Um, but, but as a whole, just – from a coaching perspective, you, you got to be pleased with just the year. I mean, essentially it, it's a, a long extended spring practice with a bunch of scrimmages that you're able to get uh, so many developmental reps in. Uh, 
live game reps in, especially with so many of these guys we see now are returning for next year. Um, and then on top of that, the way they finish the season, uh, that's got to be super encouraging for Mike Houston and company. Obviously, Temple, uh, it's always nice to kind of get that monkey off your back and, and being able to get a win against Temple, even though they had quite the COVID circumstances there. But to bounce back from that or to go on from that and then move on to SMU and really have a dominating performance, especially in the first half against a really good SMU Mustang football team. Uh, it's got to be encouraging for the staff. And, and I know it's been said before on the board, but uh, I mean, minus the referees against Tulsa and then a, co- uh, a false positive COVID, this team is, is five and four and maybe actually going to be playing this week and potentially a bowl game. Yeah, that's something I, I, I was talking with somebody within the program yesterday and it's almost now that they beat SMU the way they did, it's almost easier to look back at the Tulsa and Navy game and say, hey, they probably should have won those. Because if you don't, let's say you go out against SMU and you get smacked, then nobody wants to hear that, oh, well, you should have beat Tulsa, you should have beat Navy. So it almost leaves even a better taste in people's mouths because now those people can point back to, hey, they really were competitive. They did beat Tulsa. I mean, really, you almost beat two top 25 caliber teams if you look at it that way. We know how good Tulsa is. So, uh, what, something I want to ask you, Bobby, as somebody who was a member of the staff, and you know, I, I read the st- or uh, put the stat out after the game. This is the first time since the Beefo Brady's Bowl that ECU has concluded its season with a victory. How much of a difference does that make going into an off season versus coming off a loss? Oh, it's a it's a huge deal. I think uh, a lot of it uh, is the players are now excited to jump back into spring ball. Uh, it's a big deal, just positive momentum going into the recruiting season. Um, obviously, recruiting right now is just up, up in the air because of COVID and a lot of it's virtual, but it does give you momentum there. Um, and, and, yeah, the momentum is the biggest thing there. Um, and, and for these guys, I know we'll hit into this a little bit later in terms of culture uh, and whatnot, but obviously you see that culture has changed and you see the way these guys finish the season – uh, and that, I, I think that's going to bode well moving into spring ball and get these guys excited uh, to make gains in the weight room, but also um, improve it and, and grow together some more in spring football. Yeah, we got a lot of questions to get to in the Hoist of Colors message board, so I want to jump right into them because really as we look back at the season and kind of talk about some topics, a lot of them are brought up in these questions. So we'll kind of have a retrospective look back at the season, dive into some specifics. Um we got a lot of questions about uh, the roster, specifically with Blake Pro. You know, as we sit here, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. You know, Blake has yet to announce anything himself, but I, from what I hear, Blake Pro will announce later this week that he will be entering the NFL draft process and foregoing his final two years of eligibility. That's a surprise uh, to, to many, um, and, and will be a surprise to many more when he puts it out there. But you know, obviously, his dad is well familiar with the. NFL draft process, we'll get into that um, as we answer some of these questions. And the first question comes from Buck Nasty, and it's about Blake Pro, which is why I made that announcement. Uh, Buck Nasty wants to know, thoughts on Blake Pro's departure for the draft? Any truth to the rumors mentioned in your original thread that he was unhappy with the staff? You know, uh, for those unfamiliar, we, we put this in VIP and uh, we had some posters say that he was unhappy with the staff, all that sort of stuff. My sources tell me that he was not unhappy with the staff 
everything I've heard tells me he loved his time at ECU. From starting his career with Scotty Montgomery to ending it with Mike Houston, uh, night and day. And I think he will talk about that later this week during his press conference when we talk to him. Um, was he frustrated with the offense? Yeah, I mean, I think every offensive player was frustrated at some point this season. So I, I think he was frustrated. I don't think he was unhappy with the staff. So I think there's a difference there. And the way he closed the year, I thought, was very important, obviously, for his draft stock. Uh, thoughts on his departure? You know, I, I'll be honest. I was pretty shocked. Um, I thought Blake could have really benefited from another year of strength, uh, better numbers, a full season. But, you know, you looking back at it, he did close the year extremely strong. Uh, from what I've heard, his dad has looked into the process a lot and, and sees that a lot of these mid-tier, late-round wide receivers are going to come back. And then, therefore, the next year the draft will be loaded with receivers. So he feels like this is the best year to go. Uh, Bobby, you know, what was your reaction when you heard the news and kind of your take on the situation? Yeah, I was shocked when um, I heard the news. Uh, really just taken aback, kind of just – Blake's been a solid player and a great great contributor for the ECU offense, especially late, later in the year uh, when he started to come on. But just looking at the measurables that are really so important to NFL scouts and NFL franchises, you know, he's not the, the quickest or most explosive receiver out there, and he's also uh, not the strongest. And a, a lot of times yeah, when you watch football on Sundays, whether they're zone or – Man, a lot of times they're they're right in your face, and uh, you know those cornerbacks uh, may press bail or try to throw you off the route, even if they're in zone coverage, and and that kind of concerns me. At the flip side of that, uh, Ricky Pro probably understands the whole draft process a lot better than I do, and uh, he, he's obviously put in the research, kind of where I stand, just because those mid round guys um, are coming back doesn't mean he'll still get used as a pick in the mid-round. Uh, but that's just my opinion. Obviously, uh, Ricky has a lot more uh, experience in that realm. So I just – I think one poster did it earlier, but I like to compare it to Justin Hardy. I think Justin Hardy is a lot more well-rounded well receiver, and, and he was still a fourth-round pick who wasn't on an NFL roster this year. Um, in terms of the situation with frustration with the offense – um, look, what what competitor is not frustrated in that offense when you're not putting up the stats and the numbers that you expect going into the year? And and I like to relate it to in terms of the frustration, just with somebody who works an eight to five, it's just like any other uh, person working a normal eight to five job. If you get frustrated or you have a bad day at the office, you're starting to second guess what you're doing a little bit and maybe want to say, hey, what's on LinkedIn jobs that are available? Maybe I need to look around a little bit. And then you come to your senses that the grass isn't always greener. So I think that frustration is the same for anybody in, in a workplace, just trying to relate it to, to other people and not necessarily a culture issue, but more just just frustration as a competitor and, and wanting to be the best you can. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing, too, I didn't mention, you know, Blake, he will leave ECU with his degree. So that is something that is important. You know, a lot of these guys, will they'll declare early without their degree, um, and that I think is a mistake. Blake will leave with his degree, and, you know, he, he, he missed his freshman year due to a torn ACL. You know, it really took him kind of until his redshirt sophomore year to really reach his full potential. And I, I thought let, later this year we kind of saw Blake Pearl at his best. You know, I do agree with you. 
I think he's a better NFL prospect than his brother, who is only 5'10 and more of a slot guy. I think Blake probably will end up being more, you know, kind of a guy who can play in the slot in the NFL but do some different things. Um, but he has to get stronger. I mean, he, he, he doesn't really create much after the catch. He's more, He is a true possession guy, which granted, Ricky Prohl, he was only six foot and he played in the NFL 17 years. So it was a different game back then. Um, and so I have my doubts about Blake long-term sticking in the NFL. But, hey, if he wants to give it a shot and his family feels it's the best for him, I, I, I 100% hope it works out because ECU needs some more uh, players in the NFL. Um given everything we're seeing uh, these days. Agreed. I just, like you said, hopefully everything uh, works the best for Blake and that we can see him play on Sundays. Um, wish he'd come back a year, but completely understand and really, uh, above all, happy he got his degree and is leaving with that degree in hand. That's important. Uh, ECU Jackie Moon, he's got kind of a question about content. He says, any chance you can do a twice-a-week piece in the offseason on ECU strength program. I know the App State Board does sim- something similar called Appalachian Power Grid. I honestly am not familiar with that, but uh, I might have to check that out because if they're getting that type of access, that's pretty good. You know, honestly, Big John is one of a kind, awesome dude. He is not he is not the media savvy type. He's He's honestly really good when you get him sat down, but he's hard to track down. He's hard to get behind a mic, and that he just prefers. It. He told me when he first got here that he uh, that he likes to stay away from the spotlight. He wants that to go more to the coaches and he, him just do his job. So I'll see what I can do. I would love to get that type of access, but given the pandemic and all that sort of stuff, I don't know what I'll be able to do. So, um, but it is a crucial offseason for ECU in the weight room. All right, Berg Power. He's got another question about uh, Blake Pearl. Who replaces Blake Pearl's production next year? Um, that you know, that's a good question. I, I do think, uh, from what I've, I've heard, Audio Matosha will return, despite being a graduate student. Um, you know, Cam Burnett came on strong at the end of this year. I thought played some solid snaps at wide receiver as a former walk-on who got placed on scholarship. But they've got a lot of young guys. Um, Taji Hudson was moved to receiver. Tyler Savage was a true freshman, so those guys have to improve, and then they're going to sign three receivers. But yeah, I mean, they got to find a, a, a kind of a go-to guy. We all know what C.J. Johnson could do. Just kind of your thoughts on that, Bobby. How do you replace uh, the consistency in production of Blake Pearl? The uh, the first two guys that came to mind you mentioned were uh, Cam Burnett and Adi Omotosho. I think it's going to have to be a collective effort, uh, but those are the first two guys that come to mind just from them be, uh, being outside guys and, and playing that position. C.J. Johnson needs to step up and have a much better uh, third season in the offense. Um, but it, it's going to ha- – yeah, it's going to have to be a collective uh, group effort to make up that, for that lost production. And the, and the thing you notice at the end of the year, too, is Holt Naylor's really trust Blake Prohl. So it's going to be important outside of Tyler Sneed, who's that guy that he trusts and knows he can throw the football to on third down to pick up the first. And and so that's going to be the other aspect of it is who can Holton trust and develop that chemistry with uh, to rely on somebody outside of Tyler Sneed. Yeah, that's a great point because I thought at the beginning of the year it looked like C.J. Johnson was kind of that guy in one-on-one situations that he trusted the most. And then – the production and consistency just wasn't there. So then halfway through the year, it started to become Blake Pro, and he got those targets. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Audio Matosho, in my opinion, is not at that point of consistency yet. I mean, he's got to continue to improve there. 
Taji Hudson's raw, Tyler Savage's raw. So that is a big void to fill, and I don't know if you go to the grad transfer route if possible to find somebody, but that's something we'll monitor. But, yeah, CJ, I think he's got to have a really good offseason. Like Mike Houston said, never had a spring practice, so I think that will make a difference if he if he's able to have that. Um, Bird Pirate, you know he's always going to have more than one question. So uh, he's his second question. Uh, how often will the players be tested – for COVID-19 during winter workouts slash spring practice. From my understanding, the plan right now is it'll be once a week. Now, when they get back, I know they have to test upon return in mid-January. And if the if the pandemic is still, if the cases are still rising, the, the numbers might be um, testing more than once a week. But they'll have to test at least once a week for workouts and that sort of stuff. So but once we get more clarity there, we'll let you know. Number three from Berg, he wants to know, Will we put it all together in year three of the Mike Houston era? Um, and he's got a question for Bobby, but we'll start with this. Pretty broad question, Bobby. I'll let you dive into it first. Will ECU put it all together in year three? And I call it year two and a half, but what do you think? Um, I think that that's tough. That I take that in kind of two different questions. Will they put it all together and be the ultimate competitive team that we think they can eventually become? No, I don't think that's next year. Do I still think they take a big step forward and grow as a program, uh, pushing six to seven wins in a bowl berth? Yes, I, I think they have the potential to do that. Um, it's definitely exciting returning all those guys, but you, you think too, and, and as we alluded to earlier with the Blake Prohl situation and those mid-round receivers coming back, a lot of other teams are having receivers coming back or players coming back as well. So uh, it, it's kind of a catch-22 there, but – I trust this staff, the adjustments that they've made and, and the plan that they have uh, forward here and, and getting a spring ball under their belt will be uh, very important, especially for the big guys up front offensively and defensively being able to put on the proper weight and strength necessary to uh, hold their own. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, I really don't have too much to add there. I think next year, fair expectations are six, seven wins in a bowl game. And then the next year, when all these guys, all these freshmen are in their third or fourth year in the program, that's kind of when you, I think you see it turn in a major way in terms of, hey, maybe we're competing for a conference championship that year. So that I kind of agree with that. And, um, yeah, looking through ECU's 2021 schedule date, lots of huge decisions from their opponents' players as far as seniors coming back or staying that really could swing, hey, is ECU favorite in this game or are they not? So we'll, we'll, there's so much to decide going forward with that. Um all right, your your question, Bobby, is what is Bobby's favorite memory of year three of the rough era? Good question. I had to actually look back at the 2012 schedule to, to try to recollect, and a couple things come to mind. Um, the Southern Miss game uh, being that was Shane Carden's first start in the start of the Shane, Shane Carden era. Um, with that game brought a hysterical moment for me um, in the locker room pregame uh, as we're getting dressed and ready all the coaches have their own locker room space and two ECU legends Harold Robinson and Kerry Gadet um, trying to paint a picture here have limited clothing on we'll say that at best and uh, are two grown men screaming and yelling at each other arguing over Brett Favre's time at Southern Miss and uh, it was quite the sight to see two pirate legends yelling at each other in the locker room 
uh, when everybody else is focused on the game, but they're going to, they're going to argue about what years Brett Favre played at Southern Miss. So that was uh, quite the moment. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, I think I'll forget, but I thought that'd be a fun story to share with everybody. Um, and then lastly, uh, the Marshall game, that, that, that last game of the regular season uh, was legendary, man. That was, uh, I mean, watching highlights of that again this morning of uh, Damon Magazoo's crucial pick uh, that led to a field goal uh, to tie it. Marshall goes down to score. And then Justin Hardy has a crucial fourth and long catch to extend the drive. And then Shane hits Danny Webster uh, in the back of the end zone. There's a, a name flashback for you. And then uh, going into overtime, our one of our it might have been our first play. We hit a whole shot, cover two whole shot to Andrew Bodenheimer for a touchdown. Um, then they get the ball, they fumble, and then we go down and score uh, to win the game. So that was uh, definitely one of the most exciting games that I'd ever been a part of, and, and that was probably the most exciting moment of, of year three, uh, as well as getting to go to a bowl game. Yeah, that was that was an awesome. Um... That Marshall game was awesome. I remember being in the end zone right where Bodie called the overtime touchdown. That was a uh, and Dowdy Ficklin was was rocking that day too, man. It was it was a it was an ideal game. Um, surprised you didn't go with Rio Johnson's first start, but you know we'll we'll just forget that one. Um, New Orleans Bowl was fun despite the end result of. Uh, that was the probably one of the loudest atmospheres I've ever played in with a, a lot of occasions just uh being really loud in the superdome uh that that honestly was about as loud as south carolina uh that was up there for uh to be a, a raging cajun program you wouldn't think that uh but their fans are nuts yeah it, it, something about the superdome and the way it's configured gets super loud because it was only about half full that day but it, it i can guarantee yeah it was super loud all right moving on here purple hook He's got a couple of questions for us. Are we going to go after any junior college wide receivers with Blake Pearl leaving? We kind of touched on this earlier, but he says we've got our proven guy in Sneed. We've got a talented but inconsistent C.J. Johnson, Josiah Hatfield, and Omotosho. And then a set of young, unproven guys. Seems like we need another solid wide receiver. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to disagree with him. It's just that that's something the coaching staff has to decide. Do they feel – CJ Hatfield, Omotosho, other young guys on the roster can make up the difference versus going out and signing a guy. Because then, if you go out and sign a guy, then you're taking snaps away from those three, and you're taking snaps away from a younger guy, and you might piss some people off. So, kind of your thoughts there, Bobby? Would you look into a transfer or, or JUCO guy? My thoughts would probably be the grad transfer route over JUCO, uh, specifically just being a grad transfer guy uh, would only be a one year kind of fill in uh, kind of can step in and, and fill that role right away and allow your young guys to still develop, but not necessarily hindering their development. Whereas a, a, a Juco guy that, that has two or three years, you're, you're going to be investing a lot more in, uh, in terms of developmentally to try to, uh, and that's going to hinder your, your young freshman, your Tosh Hudson's um, and whatnot in terms of development. So my recommendation and thought would be if they, if they feel like, they have that need that uh, to replace. They would go the grad transfer route over JUCO. Purple Hook, second question: Who do you think will develop as an effective edge rusher next year, or are we recruiting one? Um, 
they are looking at they, they offered a kid out of Georgia military. I can't think of his name, but the day ECU offered him, I think like South Carolina, Auburn, and all of these other schools offered him. So I don't think he's realistic at this time. They are looking at a, a couple other kids from on the edge, but it sounds like they're really trying to develop some guys within the program. My thing is, so defensive end, I think they'll be fine. They, they a couple of true freshmen this year. They're really high on that. Just they played some snaps, but they weren't ready. Uh, Kareem Stinson and Jason Romero. From what I've heard, Kareem Stinson's kind of just an, an athletic freak. He's just got to develop. He's like 6'4", 250, 260. Um, he's got a chance. He was a prep kid that they're really high on. Uh, Jason Romero, extremely long, lanky, you know, defensive end type. He, again, he's like 6'3", 6'4", 225. He just needs to add weight. So those two guys are going to be good at defensive end. But it's the rush outside line, linebacker position where, you know, I kind of want to see some development there. We saw a lot of Demir facing this year. You know, he was okay. There just wasn't a lot of pass rush there. I thought Chad Stevens as a redshirt freshman looked pretty good. Uh, Dre Terry got some snaps. I don't know what Elijah Robinson's role is. I mean, he came in as a Juco, didn't really play. So I kind of look at that position as one where they need to add somebody or develop somebody, especially in this defense. And, um, there's a question later on about Jeremy Lewis potentially moving to rush. And it sounds like, you know, he's playing tight end right now. It sounds like he might want to move to defense. That's a move they can make, and I think he could fit there. He was originally recruited as an edge rusher out of high school. So if that happens, I think that makes a lot of sense. But just your thoughts there, Bobby, how important is that position? That's probably the biggest question mark for me defensively is that, is that position. It just from this past season, it didn't look like they have uh, anybody on the roster right now that can – fit the the vision they have for that position in terms of the athletic standpoint. And, you know, it's a, it's a combination of speed and power there. And, you know, if you're, you're familiar with pass rush, you know, speed to power and all that stuff, but that, it's a very rare and uh, unique skill set that is needed, but uh, it's one that is necessary to get the most out of that position. Um, in terms of seeing it on the roster, I didn't see it last year. Uh, the, the two people, honestly, on the roster right now that would fit that position in my mind would be Jeremy Lewis, who we've just mentioned, and this is not going to be popular, uh, but CJ Johnson is the next one. Uh, he's already, uh, you know, is fighting to keep weight off. If you let him grow to his 240, 250, which his body can carry, he has the strength and athleticism. Now he's a damn good wide receiver that needs to stay playing wide receiver, but he's also probably the same guy uh, that, that would fit that need there. Um, so and again, I'm not advocating for CJ to, to move positions, so don't freak out, uh, everybody listening. Just that, ideally, when you look for an athletic, powerful freak, that's what you look for and envision. And, and CJ has that. So hopefully, they go out and recruit somebody uh, because I don't see it on the roster right now. And and I'd imagine that position is uh, extremely uh, important um, for uh, this defense. I kind of envisioned Darrell Johnson comparing it to somebody we had in the rough era that was just a, a strong, powerful uh, stand-up rusher uh, who can also really drop into the flats if need be, don't rely much in man coverage, but can still buzz to the flats if need be uh, and maybe pick off a, a curl or a slant uh, when the quarterback's expecting you to rush. Yeah, they did that a lot with uh, facing the second half of the year and lots of up and down play. And I think facing could be a solid special teams reserve guy. I just don't know if he, you know, maybe he makes a big leap this off season, but I don't know. But yeah, 
a uh, Darrell Johnson, Dayon Pratt type of player is, is kind of what they're looking for there. You mentioned CJ. I mean, he was the guy offered by North Carolina to play safety or linebacker. So, I mean, some teams did see him as a defensive player coming out of high school at Conley. So, um, but yeah, I don't think it's going to happen, but he would be good there. He would be great. Yeah. Uh, John Wiley was at DH Conley the year before I was there. And he, he had told me as I was, uh, transferring over to Conley, he said the best player on that defense is, is CJ Johnson. He has a future, uh, a high ceiling future as a, a defensive player. Um, all right, so our next question comes from Tarborough Bill. He's got a question about the pod. Any plans to maybe get some former players on the pod uh, during the offseason? Yeah, I'd love to, especially once we get some um, some downtime. And, yeah, I would love to get some former players on the pod, you know, have a good relationship with a number of those guys. I know, Bobby, you probably know them well, too, um, from your rough days. So, yeah, I would love to get some of those guys. We used to have a lot on during the Hoist the Colors show on Pirate Radio, so I can work on that. Especially now that we're in the offseason, we'll have some different stuff to talk about. Um, so that'll be fun. I know, Bobby, you you would enjoy catching up with some of those guys, too. Absolutely. A lot of fun personalities, too, when you think of, you know, Shane has a great person, Breon Allen, Bryce Williams. I mean, so many. I would love to hear Terry Williams again. Oh, you know, man. Uh, all those blasts from the past. I would love to get the Swamp Monster up there and talk about the time that the uh, the fan came after him on Twitter for uh, smoking weed and getting getting caught for uh, a suspension. That would be a, a hilarious segment. So maybe one day. Um, yeah. Buck Wild seventeen. He doesn't really have a question, but he he writes a sentence. Very interested in Brian Gag's plans for the near future. I I am too, Buck Wild, and my hunch is that. Brian Gag, I just don't see him coming back to ECU at this point. I mean, I would be shocked. He opted out of the season. You got Alex Flynn, Mason Garcia, Ryan Stubblefield, Walter Simmons coming in. I just don't see, I don't see a, a path for Brian Gag to get on the field here. Um, I, I'm not sure if we'll see Brian Gag set foot in North Carolina again, um, unless it's on vacation. Because, uh, like you said, the, the quarterback room is packed. The writing's on the wall. I think uh, he sees that. And, uh, you know, best of luck to him. And hopefully he gets a chance to play if, if he decides to move on. And that's his choice. But, yeah, I'd be curious too. But if I'm a betting man, my money's on him uh, not returning. Yeah, I just don't see a path there. And if he ever pops up in the portal or comes back, we'll let you know uh, on Hoist the Colors. Uh, Buckwild 17. He says, I'm in support of keeping Donnie Kirkpatrick at offensive coordinator. How about you? Um, you know, Donnie, I mean, we, we talked about it a lot on this podcast. He took some heat this year with the inconsistency of the offense. I mean, we do know going into the year there were high expectations. You know, midseason, you know, there's always over-criticism of the offensive coordinator and quarterback. Um, in some cases, it can be warranted. In a lot of cases, it's not warranted. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Uh, I kind of have some thoughts on this. Bobby, I know you probably do as well. Um, kind of what's your thoughts on, on the offense coordinator situation and, and Donnie going forward? Um, first off, yeah, I'm not going to say a bad word about Donnie Kirkpatrick. I think the world of him as a human being and, and as a ball coach. So um, I'm in full support of him coming back. Uh, I, a lot of that, too, is, you know, there's so much unknown from our perspective as, as fans and outsiders. We don't know what's going on in the building in terms of – how much say does the head coach have in terms of philosophy? 
Um, and then on the flip side of that, I mean, everybody was dealt this hand, but it, it was a, such a bad hand this year. I mean, you lose your two best tackles at the beginning of the season. So then you're trying to effectively run an offense against some of your better opponents earlier in the season uh, without your two best guys at tackle. And then you're trying to figure out the whole offensive line situation. Um, finally, the offensive line picked it up as the season progressed. We found our two running backs that we needed and who could fill in and uh, it was just inconsistent play from the receivers outside of two guys. So there's just so much kind of interchanges that were going on throughout the season. was just really hard to develop a rhythm. And, and I, I feel like once you saw some continuity there in the last little bit of the season, that's when you started to see them play their best football where more so the last game. So um I'm glad they ended on a high note. I think that really helped Donnie in this offense moving forward. And, and hopefully they can, you know, be in a third year in the system and, and a true spring ball practices, if they can get that this spring is going to be so crucial uh, to, to how they evolve and, and move forward in the fall. Yeah. You know, I would like to see him get another year for sure. And I, I think he will, you know, I think the, the biggest thing for me is the development of the running game. Um, ECU ran the football successfully pretty much every game this year outside of Georgia State and Tulane, and I think that adds such a different dimension to the offense. And people can say, you know, hey, you need to throw the ball at, at ECU to win in this league, and you do have to score points, but I think you also have to have a legitimate running game. And for the first time in a long time, ECU had a legitimate running game, and that was with a patchwork offensive line. And I think what you mentioned has to be taken into account. I mean, the offensive line that finished the year – or played against Cincinnati or played against Temple. I mean, th those guys, ha half of them should not have been on the field this season. Um, so I think they just got to have a legitimate offseason, a year development. It'll be the third year with Holt Nailers. You know, you develop C.J. Johnson some more. You develop some of these young tight ends that have been learning on the fly. And then if things aren't more consistent in year three and they're struggling all of next year with a pretty veteran offense in, in an older offensive line, then, yeah, I can I can understand more criticism. But I, I think he – you know, I think he deserves year three. Um, and I think the jump they made in the running game uh, is, is is deserved uh, – really warrants a, a year three. And if they can combine the way to combine that with the passing game and with more consistency, I think you can have a pretty special offense. You know, I look at it – the last game, a lot of people are like – Where's this offense been all year? Where's this play calling been? The way I look at it is it was much easier to call plays because SMU has probably one of the worst – I shouldn't say worst, but they don't have a, a, a defensive line that can take over a game. And against a young ECU offensive line who can hold their own against that, you can call a much different game as opposed to Tulane where you couldn't drop back without Holt Naylor's getting killed. So I think all that has to be taken into account. I do think there are some things they could do better. But I think Donnie does deserve another year, and I'm in favor of him coming back for year three. And the other thing, too, just when, when people think of a new coaching staff coming in and offenses and defenses specifically, offense, normally you see that biggest jump from year one to year two, not to say there's not improvements as you go forward and as you out-recruit the guys you have on your roster, but the biggest jump is from year one to year two because you see that comfortability. And a big reason for that is in spring football – Spring football gives you 15 practices to really work on your foundation and your core plays, your core playbook, what what you're always going to rely and hang your hat on. 
And, you know, as you get in the season, you make adjustments to those core plays in terms of formation adjustments and motions and kind of all those type of things to fit your opponent. And then you add some uh, special wrinkle plays in here week to week, but your core and your foundation of your offense uh, is still there. And all that is developed through those 15 spring practices, because that's all you work on. Uh, Under Lincoln Riley, we had uh, three different scripts that we rotated. So each script had five, five practices to total year 15. And that's what he worked through those, those 15 practices day one, day four, day eight, like all that stuff. Yeah. All day seven, excuse me. All those days were lined up and pre-planned and we just rotated those three days of your core uh, foundational uh, plays of your offense. So that was really taken away from him this year and hopefully they can get that back. And, and hopefully you'll see that jump now from two to three uh, season two to season three in the offense. Uh, Moving on to pirate backer. He's got a couple questions here. If, we are Mike Houston. Uh, number one, what early signee are you most excited about getting on campus for second semester? Um, I'll be honest, I don't know the full list of early signees. And I look at this recruiting class right now, and I think the majority of them are going to be guys, especially with the state of the roster, that come in and develop. But anytime you can get an offensive lineman in early, I think is critical. Richard Pierce from Alabama, who I'm pretty high on, uh, his plan is to be an early and so that's the guy, anytime you can get a chance to develop an offensive lineman as soon as possible, I'm in favor of that. So that's who I'm most excited about. Bobby, I know um, you don't follow probably recruiting as closely as I do, but do you have any thoughts on some of these guys? Um, the, the two guys that come to mind to me would be, uh, they may not be early enrollees, but just Jacob uh, Coleman. I believe he's going to come into the tight end room. Am I correct there? Yeah. Just excited to see what he brings to the table at the tight end position. Um, just, we saw a little bit of Shane Calhoun this year and, and he was exciting and just seeing uh, what those two can do together. And then the other one is Theodore Lockley. I'm excited to see him. I think he's, you know, he's, I thought he was smaller than he was, but he's listed as six feet and, uh, he's pretty explosive. So I'm excited to see what element he can bring to the offense. And I forgot, um, he might not officially sign, but Ryan Jones from Oklahoma will be here in January. The tight end. So you mentioned the tight end room. He could add a different dimension um, to that place as well. So, I mean, obviously you have to kind of include him in that group. Uh, number two, what position group needs to see the most improvement coming out of the spring? Um, I mean, you could go in a lot of different directions here. I, I think I think you got to go with the offensive line. It, I think they got to continue their improvement. Uh, so I'll, I'll go there. I'll say the offensive line. Get those guys a healthy and improving spring. Continue to build continuity. Get Bailey Malovic's weight up. Get Walt Stribling's weight up. Continue to develop those guys. That, that's where I say uh, you need to see some improvement. Uh, Bobby, what's your take? I'm going to go to the wide receiver room. I think, to me, those were uh, that was the most appoint, uh, disappointing room this past season and position group. Uh, maybe too much was expected of them. Uh, I'm not sure there, but I just thought they disappointed – uh, outside Tyler Sneed was pretty consistent all season and Blake Pearl came on late, but outside of those two guys, uh, just pretty disappointed in, in the performance from that position group. So I just like to see them grow. And, and obviously with the departure of Blake Pearl, there's a lot of unknown there. So I want to see how they, they grow. I thought, uh, and O-line was my, my number two. Um, and I thought coach Shankweiler did a great job of developing, developing those guys throughout the season. 
number three, this could be a long one, but I'm going to try to make it as short as possible. He says, uh, who needs to improve or who needs to see most improvement coming out of winter workouts by a position group? Um, so we, we can go through every single player. I mean, by position group, I'm going to rattle off mine. Bobby, you can weigh in once I'm done. If you've got any just general thoughts, but, um, all right, biggest improvements, quarterback room, Mason Garcia by far. He's got to continue to come along physically and, most importantly, mentally. I mean, I know that one of workouts is more about physical, but I think he's got to grow mentally. Running back room, um, I, I you know, I don't know. I mean, I think both those guys are in pretty good shape. Rajay, to me, going to the spring, has to work on ball security, getting stronger up top, so maybe that's something he can work on. Wide receiver room. Uh, C.J. Johnson by four. He's got to slim down some to maximize his talent. Uh, tight end room, Shane Calhoun. This will be his first winner. I think he's got high upside, so I want to see Shane Calhoun. Also, Travion Freshwater. He's got to slim down if he's going to play tight end. Offensive line by far, Bailey Malvick needs to put on some weight, as does Walt Stribling. Defensive line, pretty much all of them need to get in shape. I mean, it was such a weird year, but definitely Kazai Everett. I want to see him actually get a chance to play and get in shape. Uh, linebacker room, Eric Doctor is a guy who came in a little overweight at inside linebacker as a freshman and spent much of this year slimming down, so I think a big spring could help him maybe see the field. Secondary, uh, all the young DBs need to get stronger. And then punting, Luke Larson needs to slim down a bit. Bobby, you got, you got any thoughts there? I actually do have some thoughts here. I kind of went the same thing with you uh, in terms of the quarterback room. I think for me, it's just the growth from the whole position group, confidence in the offense uh, and understanding and knowing what you're doing. And then what young guys are going to separate themselves, whether that's Stubfield, Garcia, you know, Flynn, what, what, there's so many young guys and talented young guys in that room who separates themselves Uh, with the running back position. uh, No huge question marks to me in terms of, I think we found our two backs for the future. Uh, the biggest thing is, does Mooney change position? And uh, can we keep Penix around uh, to be that third guy? Because I think uh, he's going to be critical for that room from a leadership standpoint, and he's a guy the staff can trust. Uh, at the receiver position, obviously, who's going to fill in for break Blake Pro? We've talked uh, that at nauseum, but Zy Hatfield, is he going to show up and show his full potential? Are we going to see that from him? Is Andrew Pegues going to show up? Are we going to see him more than just a special teams guy? Um, the tight end position, my, my big question is, is Bird going to develop and become an impact guy for the offense and a guy they can fit in in the red zone? And will we ever see anything of Travion Freshwater or will he disappear? Uh, I don't know. I have my questions and skepticism with it, but we'll see. Uh, the O-line, Bailey needs to put on weight. Can Noah Henderson get healthy and can these young guys develop? Uh, D-line, Everett was one of those. Will he get in shape? And then Henry Garrison, are we? is he body type-wise, he has the, the figure to, to be an impact guy, but will he put it all together? Um, at linebacker, Stringer, does he recover from his injury? How does he recover? Um, and then what role is Alex Angus going to play? Uh, I think you said he may have moved to linebacker and just like to see how he developed because he was one, looking at his high school tape, I was really excited about um db who's going to be the third guy behind uh uh fleming and um mcmillan is it going to be tucker is it going to be nolan johnson and then specialists what do we do with patrick nations so uh being a scholarship guy 
I think that's that's kind of uh, important there too, is especially with Verity coming back and, and if Nations isn't even traveling or doing any of that, uh, what do you do with that that scholarship position? Lots of good thoughts there, Bobby. Uh, I'm impressed, man. I'm impressed that you nailed that. Uh, that was because I mean, you made me. You almost made me look bad. Like you came up with some good. Because uh, I almost forgot completely about some of that. And I, you know, from talking with um some sources, you know, the Owen Daffer kid is a walk on kicker who I've heard really good things about. So I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Nations. I can't predict the future, but. I've just heard that he, you know, he's been somewhat inconsistent with accuracy. And if John Young comes back, do you really want four scholarship specialists again, um, in terms of kickers and punters? So that, especially in a year where you're going to be tight on scholarships, so that's something that has to be worked out. Um, so good stuff, man. I'm impressed. Um, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I was a. Uh... It was fun to go through the roster and just kind of look back because to me too, the the other thing with development. Uh, and these guys, as they're so young, especially on the D-line, it, it's really unfair to criticize first- and second-year guys in the system. To me, when you see their body development, I was looking for going through the roster, what third- and fourth-year guys. And, yeah, you can say Henry Garrison is not a third- and fourth-year guy, but he's a JUCO guy. He, his body is developed now at this point in his career. So uh, just seeing how what they all can bring to the table and uh, excited to see how they uh, perform in spring ball. Uh, a couple more things and we'll get out of here uh chess pirate he wants to know how will the roster movement slash development after the season compare to what we saw after last season especially when you add in the uncertainty of bringing back so many for one extra year while adding a recruiting class given that we only have 80 85 scholarships to offer uh well the first thing is technically you have more than 85 because all the seniors that come back do not count against it so you could from what i've heard like a team like south florida plans to have as many as 110 on scholarship next year um, because of their senior class coming back. Now we'll see how many guys actually come back. But for ECU, you could have 100 guys on scholarship, but does John Gilbert and the athletic department, can they pay for it? So that's the that's the other factor thrown into this and in that you can have over 85 counting your seniors, but can you really have 85 if you're ECU? My hunch is ECU probably ends up with around – 90 I mean I think you'll have more than five seniors come back but I think you're going to see a lot of these unfortunately a lot of these guys on the roster that maybe don't really have a clear path to the field whether it be told to move on or kind of encourage I mean you're just going to see this across college football this year so you're going to see a lot of guys that don't have a shot at much playing time enter the transfer portal we've already seen that uh with Jose Haji Badri who's you know a solid veteran player but honestly with the increase in young talent on the interior de- defensive line you could afford to lose them so you're going to see more of that and you're going to see different guys brought in the focus going forward in recruiting is transfers and older guys because they feel good about the young guys on the roster so um it's going to be an interesting offseason bobby yeah i'm curious because uh this is especially with these future recruiting classes the next two years in particular uh that's where your uh, talent evaluation is going to pay dividends um because it's going to be a crapshoot with recruiting um, I do think because of the situation, like you said, uh, ECU and their financials uh, will be a little bit limited, but it'll also make that conversation a little bit easier uh, in terms of weaning out some of the guys that you may not feel can uh, contribute on the roster. What, and that, that's probably going to be more of your, your sophomore, junior range of guys, uh, especially if they're excited with the freshmen and their freshmen are guys that they've brought in, um, as well as 
uh, maybe some freshmen that just weren't who they thought they were when they showed up to campus. So uh, going to be a lot of transition, but I think that's going to be the norm across college football here for the next two years or so. Yeah, it's going to have a ripple effect. And I was talking to somebody, a lot of FBS caliber players in the coming years aren't going to sign with FBS teams because there's not going to be enough scholarship players or scholarships available due to these seniors coming back and kind of the ripple effect. So FCS teams, I think, have a chance to really up their talent level because you're going to have transfers going there and you're going to have more high school kids who don't have room to sign. So uh, that's something to monitor in the years ahead. All right, our last few questions, not really questions, but this is a good way to wrap it up. Uh, ECU Pirates backwards, he wants us to give away an offensive MVP, a defensive MVP, a rookie of the year, and a most improved. Oh man, this is this is kind of fun. This is a good way to wrap it up. So, uh, offensive MVP. I honestly haven't looked at this, Bobby. I, I don't know if you did any research ahead of time, um, but I let's see. I'm gonna go with Roger Harris. I, I think you can make a, a a strong argument for Tyler Sneed. Um, Holt Naylor's had some great games this year. Probably not quite as consistent to get that, but I think Roger Harris. Although you can make an argument for Rookie of the Year, I'm going to give him the MVP just because of what he brought in the running game. Rajay Harris was one of my – I kind of had picked two just That's to fair. Counter, counter here, but I had Tyler Sneed. And you could argue Tyler Sneed being just the whole team MVP with what he contributed to special teams as well. Uh, but he was the guy that, that Holton relied on. He made big plays when we needed him. And uh, so, yeah, he just brought a lot of energy to the offense and – Rajay Harris is an excellent pick because we haven't seen a running back like that in a long time here at ECU, but I'm going to give my MVP to Tyler Sneed. All right, defensive MVP, I'll let you go first on this, Bobby, since I went first on offensive. This one was was tougher for me. Uh, I think I'm going to give it more so to uh, a position group. I'm going to go with the D-line. I think those young guys up front, and, and maybe I'll just give it to Coach Tesh, um, and, and his whole unit, because I, I was very impressed with the job that he did having so many young guys and they held their own, you know, they, they bought into the scheme. They were very effective, uh, down, down uh, later in the season. So, uh, I'm going to go the defensive line and, uh, yeah, I'll let you, you pick before I kind of give my other one I have, uh, yeah, I mean, that, you can't go wrong there. I mean, you could make a case for, again, Elijah Morris as a guy, even though he's a rookie as well. Um, you know, Rick, De, Rick DeBrayu had a dominant year, I thought. I mean, he doesn't have all the sack numbers, but if you look at his just consistent penetration, I think for a first-year starter, he was phenomenal at uh, three techniques. So I think he's got a chance to be special as long as he keeps his head on straight. Uh, defensive MVP. I mean, there's a lot of guys you can go with here. And you mentioned Roy Tesh. You know, I thought the corners this year, I thought Steve Ellis made a, a huge impact. I mean, the jump Malik Fleming made from last year to this year was night and day. I mean, he was so much better. I thought Nolan Johnson was so much better. Jaquan McMillan, though, I mean, I, I think I got to give it to Jaquan McMillan. I mean, he kind of had a slow start to the year with the turf toe, but I thought the way he finished the year and the two picks against SMU to clinch it, I'm giving it to Jaquan McMillan. Leads the team with four picks on the season. I thought um, he played he played great towards the end of the year. He's a, he's a good choice. My my second guy was Warren Saba or Saba, however you pronounce it. Saba, but I, Saba. I, I didn't get it wrong both times. But all right, 
<laughs> I thought he was uh, he was my my other choice. I thought he he made some big plays, um, and I thought uh, he, you know, he he improved uh, dr- dr- drastically compared to last season. So I thought he made a big jump uh, defensively before he got injured. Definitely a good choice. All right, rookie of the year could be a freshman or a transfer. Um, I'll go first on this one and. You know, there's so many freshmen. You could give it to half the team. I'm going to go with uh, – I, I thought about Elijah Morris. He could easily be the, the number one choice. His story is phenomenal. But I'm going to go Sean Dorso, the transfer safety. I may have taken Bobby's. But uh, he started every game at safety. And uh, I thought he – you know, there were some ups and downs, but I thought he showed as a sophomore he can be kind of a, a, a key go-to guy on the back end of the defense. You you definitely took mine, but that's I thought I was gonna kind of have an under the radar pick there with Sean Dorso, uh, and also give my my boy Trip Weaver some love at the safety position. But uh, and we've already mentioned Rajay Harris, so I'm gonna go with Keaton Mitchell. Um, I thought he brought some excitement, and explosiveness to the offense. Uh, that Temple game, he was huge. So uh, and I believe Tulsa as well. He had a big game. So. Uh, excited to see the one-two punch him and Rajay can uh, bring, and just to see those two young guys uh, hold down the running back room for the next, you know, three to four years is exciting. All right, most improved. We'll wrap it up with this. I'm going to go with the guy you went with earlier for defensive MVP. I'm going to go with Warren Saba. Uh, you mentioned his improvement. I mean, I'll be honest. I kind of wrote him off as a special team slash backup guy, and he proved me wrong this year. I mean, he was one of the highest graded. Defensive players on the team um, made a couple picks. I thought was solid in the run game, solid in coverage. So Warren Saba, my pick for most improved. I thought he took a tremendous jump under uh, Trip Weaver. I'm going to go a defensive guy as well on the back end. I'm going to go Malik Fleming. Um, you, you mentioned it earlier with Coach Ellis. I thought he did a great job with his secondary. And uh, Malik Fleming was relied upon, especially early on in the year. And he you know, sustained the whole season. Uh, playing really good football. So I was impressed to see the progress he made uh, in the secondary unit as a whole, but specifically him uh, being relied upon as a young guy, um, as a starter for the whole season. That was impressive. So uh, most improved for me is Malik Fleming. Lots of good candidates for all those. I mean, especially the most improved in rookie of the year. Basically the entire team qualifies for both of those, it seems like. Uh, you know, we didn't mention um, Jairo Wilson. He could have been a guy for most improved. Uh, from last year to playing a little role to playing a big role this year. So lots of good candidates and lots of bright days ahead for ECU football. And uh, Bobby, wanted to take uh, some time to appreciate uh, you for joining us on this podcast. I know you're busy as always, but took the full hour out today to hop on the pod. It was a long one, but lots of good questions from the Hoist of Colors audience. And uh, looking forward to uh, continuing to do this into the offseason. I know we'll have you on for the uniform special at some point. Excited about the uniform special. Um, excited to watch some ECU basketball, 2-0. and um, And, yeah, just uh, really glad that we were able to get the season uh, completed, playing all the games on schedule. And, uh, you know, as weird of a year as it was, but really excited for the future of this program and what it has. And, uh, you know, what this, I, I've, I'm just really excited with what Mike Houston is doing. I feel like he's going to take this program to the level we all want as fans uh, and competing in the American Conference and getting recognized in a positive way on college game day uh, going forward here. So, 
really excited. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate all you do. Definitely love reading the content. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited. ECU 2-0 and since Pat McAfee called Mike Houston soft. <laughs> I love Pat McAfee. I think he's hilarious, but uh, he did it. Uh, that was – Mike Houston to me, maybe he just doesn't know what who Mike Houston is. That that he's probably one of the last guys in the world I would call soft, but that's just that's just me. Yeah, I would be careful if I was Pat McAfee, but hey, it, it that's his style. It is what it is. So he can uh he can reap what he sows one day. All right, so that'll do it for the podcast for Bobby Harward. I am Steven Igo. We'll come to you next week. We'll be talking more basketball and recruiting. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.